I want you to look, if you will, to the first chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. That's where I want to begin today. I, it's, I'm going to apologize. I don't want to apologize, but uh, I will say it's a little different today. I have a very practical word to give you for your life, for this church. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge you. Maybe you don't normally do this, but get a pen and something to write down. I'm going to give you seven keys this morning. Uh, and, and, and what I believe will help us as a church and you as an individual to stay on mission in your life. And so I want us to examine that. Beginning in Deuteronomy chapter number one, Moses's primary mission was to lead the people of God into the promised land. He was the great deliverer that God used to bring this people in bondage in Egypt across the Red Sea. God delivered them through the leadership of Moses. And then ultimately, it was his task, an assignment given to him by God to deliver these people into the promised land. That was Moses' mission. Get these people to the promised land. Our mission as a church, as North Place Church, is to create spirit-empowered environments where people can experience Christ. They grow in relationship with each other. They experience community. And then they are mobilized into ministry to serving other people with the love of Jesus. That's compassion. Our goal as a church, our mission is to create spirit-empowered environments where people experience Christ, they experience community, and they experience compassion. Now, it doesn't matter if you are new. We create environments, spirit-empowered environments for people to find Christ as Savior. Or even if you've been serving God for a long period of time, to experience Him in a new and a fresh way, which leads you into deeper and more meaningful relationships. Because it is in the community of relationships with brothers and sisters in faith that we grow. Iron sharpens iron. You cannot grow in your faith as a lone ranger. So community is necessary. It is biblical. It is necessary in God's system. That's why small groups matter at North Place Church. That's why getting together with other believers to grow and study the Bible and do life with the church family matters so much. That's the reason I'm excited for Aaron and his job situation to be back in service with us because community matters. It is necessary for personal growth. We create environments, spirit-infilled, infiltrated, empowered environments for people to experience Christ, community, and then be mobilized into ministry of compassion by serving other believers and the world In the name of Jesus. What we must do as a church is try to figure out a way to stay on mission. Because everything in the world is going to distract us. It's going to cost us more than we're wanting to invest. It's going to be sacrificial. It is going to take more time. It is going to take longer than we wanted it to take. It is, it is going to have naysayers. There are going to be times in our life as a church, we're going to doubt. It's so big, we're going to begin to doubt what God has said to us. And these same kind of things happened in your life, and they happened in Moses' life. But I believe that Moses' life gives some insight to people of purpose, And to people of of God's mission and plan, he gives us insight on how to stay on mission. I'm about to read Deuteronomy 1.6, and I just kind of give you a setting. The book of Deuteronomy is, you know, I preach in sermon series. You know, it's a four-week series or a six-week series oftentimes. And the book of Deuteronomy is more than a sermon. It is a collection of sermons that Moses preaches at the end of his life. And these are, the theme of Deuteronomy is remembrance. So they are looking back on this journey that they've had in the wilderness, 40 years of wandering. uh, And they are about to enter into the promised land. These things are written about a month before Moses dies. 
And this is his farewell sermon series. He's reminding the people of their mistakes and yet at the same time God's grace. Encouraging them that the only way is to trust and obey. And in that trust and obedience God will bless you. But when you fail he forgives you. And there's this collection of sermons about the faithfulness of God even when they aren't. And Moses begins in chapter 1 reminding them of right after they had crossed the river of the Red Sea, uh, they have encamped outside the Mount Horeb and they have been there, Mount Sinai, for about a year. This is in the beginning. They haven't yet gone on this long wandering that they went into. And the Lord our God, Deuteronomy 1.6, said to us while they had been camped out at Horeb for about a year, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn And take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites, to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, in the river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring after them. What I want you to notice is that statement in verse 6. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. Rarely... Will the mission of God be accomplished when we as his people are comfortable? God often leads us to places in life and that place he leads us to gets comfortable. We get stagnant. We get happy, which is what happened to the nation of Israel here camped out on this mountain. They had come out of bondage. Now God was providing for them here at Mount Sinai. They could have stayed here forever. But God said, get up from this mountain. It's time for you to turn and take your journey. God has to move us from our comfortable places. He has to stir us from our comfort zones in order to accomplish what he desires in us. We can rejoice in the past But we cannot stay here. We must stay on mission. We don't know what the future holds. We don't have any crystal balls. We don't know the challenges that are waiting before us. But we have a sense that God is not finished with us yet. And we are not where we need to be. As a pastor, I showed up here over eight years ago. I had a sense in my heart that there was a purpose and a destiny for North Place Church. I couldn't describe it. Didn't know exactly what it looked like. I just knew that God was taking us somewhere. Now here we are. A few months away from entering into a new building on a new piece of property after 92 years uh, in this vicinity. Here we are moving. And I would like to tell you that I've got it all figured out. And I don't. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's waiting in front of us. There will be challenges. There will be giants. There will be obstacles. I just know in my heart that God is not finished with us yet. That we are not there yet. But this is what I do know. The harvest potential of where we are is not the harvest potential of where God wants to take us. We cannot stay at this mountain. We must move forward and trust God even if there is uncertainty and there are unknown challenges that loom before us. People of vision and purpose can learn from Moses' leadership. Let me give you seven things, I believe, seven keys that will keep us on mission. Number one, the credibility of the mission is not measured by the opinions or the decisions of people. People will always try to negotiate you out of the mission of God in your life. Always. Why? Because it costs a lot of money. Because it costs a lot of time. I mean, don't you think there are people that look at Stan uh, Stewart's life and say, what a waste? 
Because they don't see it from a kingdom perspective. They don't understand it in God's economy. They don't realize that God honors faithfulness. And and they look at that and they say, what a waste. Because we look through a different set of lenses. And the majority report that often comes back to us when we're on mission for God is often a discouraging report that will take us as a church off mission. That will take you as an individual off mission of what God has called you to do in your life. If you look in Numbers chapter 13, you know the story I'm going to read beginning in verse 30. In just a moment, Moses has just come across the Red Sea. They've just come out of Egypt. They have the potential of coming immediately into the promised land. And Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. And it is exactly what God said it would be. It is this beautiful land where the fruit is large. It's fertile. It's a land, they say, that flows with milk and honey. But the majority report, 10 of the spies came back and said, we can't go in. It's everything God said it was, but there are giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb were about 40 years old, young compared to everybody else. And they said, I know there are giants, but God said we can take this land. They were the minority report. But the majority report overruled and the people listened to the majority report. And it sent them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Numbers 13, 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said... Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw of great height. And there we saw Nephilim, which were giants, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed... To them, the majority report, people will always try to negotiate you out of mission. But listen to me. Your flesh never defaults into missional activity. You're not going to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning on your own and say, Whoa, I get to pray right now. Your flesh never defaults into missional activity. Second law of thermodynamics says people get old, batteries run down, things lose their power. It just, everything runs out, it runs down. We age and when we do, it is natural for us to drift in the mission of God. It is natural for us to drift away from passion. It is natural for us to drift away in prayer. Flesh never defaults to missional activity. If left undisciplined, if faith is not exercised, if we are prayerless, if we are not intentional with what God has called us to, we join the whiners of the majority report. It is not natural to believe for the supernatural. That's why faith is called a gift in the Bible because it comes from somewhere beyond us. Faith is not natural to us. It is a gift that has been given to us by God. So don't let People negotiate you from the mission of God in your life. Church, do not let people or naysayers who say it's going to take too long. It's going to cost too much sacrifice. We're going to have to invest too much to reach the widow, the poor, the broken. Or or, or move and relocate and be all that God set us to be. Don't let people negotiate us off mission. Number two, the journey is always more difficult than first perceived. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, there was a burden that was lifted off of my shoulders. 
And it was like the grass was greener and the birds sang louder and the sky was bluer. And I mean, my heart was full of faith. My eyes seemed to be open. My heart was infused. And there wasn't a mountain high enough. There wasn't a devil big enough. I was ready to take the world. And then somewhere along the way, you get a leak in your spiritual tank. Reality starts setting in. And and you wish you could somehow maintain that innocence that you had when you first got saved. Or maybe even after you've been saved a long time. You know, there are moments when I, every time I open the Bible and pray, there is a sense of the presence of God. But then there are those moments I can take you back to in my journal. Some places around this altar, some place times up in that prayer room, in a vehicle, or in my own house. Where there was an exceptional presence of God where he spoke to my heart or led me to a scripture that altered my direction. It was a life-defining moment for me and I came out of that moment with my batteries charged ready to take the mountain. Maybe, maybe for us corporately it's a capital campaign or a vision casting series where we sense that God is doing something in our midst. Those moments generate excitement. They build faith. But when you leave the comfort zone that God has asked us to leave and head out in obedience on the journey, get up from this mountain and go, it's time. When you start on that journey to what God has called you to, you don't have to be on that journey long until you realize you're going to face a stiff headwind doing what God called you to do. It's always harder than you thought it would be in the moment of excitement. Moses led Israel out of Egypt. Miraculously, God delivered them from the Red Sea. But they weren't on the other side of the Red Sea long until they faced reality, the dawning task. There were two to three million people that left Egypt with Moses and went across that Red Sea. And now they're in a desert. Can you... I mean, imagine the millions of gallons of water it would have taken to take care of that many people, not counting their livestock. Imagine the tons of food every day it would have taken to feed that many people, just not including their livestock. And they're not in a luscious environment. They're in a desert. And so you've got the reality of the challenges that come after the excitement of a miracle. All of a sudden it fades in the face of the headwinds of the challenges that come your way. There was no strategic plan. They wandered in circles. They made some questionable moral decisions. They were disobedient. There was confusion. They started a rebellion against Moses' authority. I mean, story after story of difficulty. And I would imagine when they got on the other side of that Red Sea and God was moving, it was hard for them to believe this was going to be that difficult. But you need to understand the journey is always more difficult than you first perceived. Number three, focusing on the vision or the preferred future does not devalue previous experiences. Sometimes when pastors get up and talk about what God is about to do, or with excitement looking into the future, people hear that and they automatically think that celebrating the future is synonymous with devaluing the past. And it's not. When we get excited about what God is about to do in us, it by no means diminish what God has done for us. Celebrating the future is not devaluing the past. Listen, friend, there is a reason the windshield in your car is bigger than your rearview mirror. Where you are going is more important than where you have been. 
If you go to work tomorrow and drive down to downtown Dallas and work in one of those office high-rises downtown and you decide I'm not looking out this windshield, I'm going to drive all the way down there looking in this rearview mirror, you won't make it to the bush tollway because you can't get forward looking in the rearview mirror. But it's, it's, it's crazy and foolish as that sounds, so many believers live their life with their eyes on the rearview mirror looking at what it used to be and how prayer used to be and how God used to be instead of looking forward through the windshield of their life at the possibilities and the expectations and you say but God pastor when I when I look through all of the, that windshield all I see is problems what is what is God going to do there every one of your problems through that windshield is an opportunity for God to manifest his power when we celebrate the future as a church we are not diminishing the past we understand that we are we are celebrating standing on the shoulders of 92 years of heritage in this church some of those 92 years is worth repeating others of that part of that 92 years is not worth repeating but it is all worth remembering we are trustees of a trust those that handed that covenant to us those that handed that trust to us did not give us that trust so that we could build a museum And come every Sunday and worship the relics of what God used to do. They managed the trust that had been handed to them by previous generation. And handed it to us as a baton in a race in faith that we would stay on mission. But churches all over America are dying today because their life is more concerned about the rearview mirror than it is the windshield. And when they come to church, they're not celebrating the possibilities of what God might do in their midst today. All they're doing is reminiscing about the good old days of what God used to do back then. And thank God for what He used to do back then. But I am glad today that my dreams are bigger than my memories and my windshield shield is bigger than my rearview mirror and God is full of possibility for your life and for this church the past was great but the best is yet to come number four attitudes and actions should never be determined by personal disappointment when you're on mission as a parent as a businessman or woman or in the ministry or for us as a church family when you're on mission There are going to be plenty of things that come along that discourage you, that try to make you question what you're doing for God, make you wonder if it's even worth it. There are going to be plenty of things because naysayers come and go and people try to negotiate us off mission and and there's going to be a lot, there are going to be things that hurt. People are going to hurt you, even God's going to hurt you. Not that he intentionally tried to hurt you, but you had this expectation of what he ought to do for you and he decided to do something else in a different season of time. And because he didn't meet your expectation, it wounds you. And when those moments come, attitudes and actions should never be determined by the personal disappointments in our life when we're on mission. Moses' mission from God, it was God's assignment in his life, was to get them to Canaan, to the promised land. But he's in a season where he gets so frustrated by the whining and complaining of these people. If you read the book of Numbers uh, and read about the Exodus and follow through with the people that Moses pastored, you have never seen the like of complaining and whining and bickering 
I mean, there's nothing like it unless you're a parent of a teenager. There is no other circumstance like what Moses faced. Excuse me, I just had to throw that in there. (laughs) Moses was overwhelmed. He was frustrated. God said to him, here these people are thirsty. Millions of gallons a day it took to water all these people. And God said, I'm going to bring water from the rock. I want you to speak to the rock. But Moses was so overwhelmed with the frustration of the complaining of the people and God not meeting his expectations that it blurred. And instead of speaking to the rock in frustration, he hit the rock in anger. And God barred Moses because of that one seemingly small act of disobedience. He barred Moses from ever being able to go into Canaan. The promised land. You're going to lead the people there, but you're not going in yourself. Moses pleaded with God to reconsider. I mean, he begged him. In Deuteronomy 3.23, it says, And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, Lord, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan that hill country and and Lebanon. He's preaching now. This is a sermon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you. He's expressing the frustration I had with you as a people. And would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Nowhere after that moment do you sense that it hurt Moses. But you know it did. I mean, he's been, his life mission is to lead these people into the promised land. And here, in a moment of frustration and anger, he disobeys God. And because of that act of disobedience, he is barred from going in. And yet, in spite of that disappointment, he never allows that disappointment to affect him in fulfilling his mission. Because here we are. We are, we are one month prior to his death when you get to Deuteronomy and he's casting vision for their journey. He's reminiscing the past, telling them what is necessary for them to enter into the promised land and he can't go in. He's casting vision about the mission of God knowing he's not able to enjoy the fruit of his labor. He is faithful, fulfilling what God has asked him to do and the disappointment does not affect His attitude or actions when he is on mission for God. To me, that's leadership. No matter what's going on in his life, he stays on mission. And then, not only did God not let him go in, he told Moses, I want you to turn the reins of leadership over to this young guy named Joshua. You've worked all of these years. You've labored all of these years. You invested all of this time. You're not going to get to go in. But this kid that's coming behind you, you know, your assistant, he's going to be the one to lead the people in. And that just doesn't seem fair to me. And it probably didn't seem fair to to Moses at the time. But Moses wasn't in fairness by American standards. He was committed to faithfulness because he trusted God's justice system. And he didn't sit around and try to figure out why God did what he did and why he didn't do what he should have done. He stayed faithful even though it was probably disappointing. He didn't let his attitude or his action when he was on mission to be affected by his own personal disappointment. Maybe he understood even before Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, this principle. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. 
Stay on mission. Even if you didn't draw the most luxurious assignment, stay on mission. I know there are times that you question, why does she get to do that, Lord, and I have to do this? Why did he get all that talent and I got this talent? I understand that. There are moments when we question our place in the mission of God and wonder what God's doing. I mean, Isaiah says in Isaiah 49 that he was a select arrow in the quiver of God. And using that imagery, I've often seen God reach back into his quiver to deploy some arrows. And I'm sitting back there thinking, hey, God, I'm a man of destiny. I'm a man of purpose. I've been dreaming of making an impact in the world for your kingdom since I was a little boy. And God's hand reaches back into that quiver and he reaches over me and picks another arrow and pulls him out. And I'm saying, wait a minute, God, don't you know that arrow? I know that arrow. I've been backstage with that arrow. He's crooked. Why did you pass over me to pick him? And then he deploys somebody that I don't know why he picked him and left me sitting in the shadows of obscurity waiting. I don't know why God does what he does sometimes. But Moses shows us in this moment when it comes to leadership and the mission of God, sometimes it's not fairness through an American set of lenses. It is faithfulness. And Moses stays faithful to what God asked him to do and did not let his attitude or action be impacted by his personal disappointment. He trusted the sovereign plan of God for his life. We can walk in that kind of trust when we understand, number five, God's mission is indispensable, I am not. Moses' personal goal when he left Egypt, it's stated in the Bible, that he would bring everybody out of Egypt and into the promised land, not even one hoof left behind. I mean, that's what he wanted. But yet when you read the account of all of the wilderness wanderings, it is full of stories of disobedience and death and judgment so that most of the people that left Egypt with Moses never even made it into the promised land. It was the younger generation that entered in. Most of Moses' generation didn't make it. Joshua 1.1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, the river Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people Israel. Moses dies, the vision lives. The vision or the mission is not personality-centric. The vision is not pastor-centric. It is bigger than any one person. And let me say this about your own life mission. If you are not giving to or living for a vision that will outlive you, then you are not investing your life and resources in a God-sized mission. The last several weeks of my absence has been a good reminder to me and a good reminder to this church that mission is indispensable and I am not. We are stewards of a mission that was handed to us by people that have gone before us in the 92 previous years. We've been in this city worshiping God since 1921 
in a house cottage and then a rented bank facility and then in 26 moved over to this property and, and then here in the next few months we will make the journey to a new piece of property as the crow flies about two miles away. We are stewards, not owners, but stewards of a vision. You know what? I'm a temporary pastor. And you say, does that mean you're only going to be here a little while? I've been here starting my ninth year and if I stay here 25 more years, I still look at myself every day as a temporary pastor. There were dozens of leaders who have gone before me and my goal as a pastor is to treat it every day like I'm stewarding something that belongs to somebody else so that I leave it better than I found it when I walk away from it. This mission is bigger than you. It is bigger than me. And I pray that when our generation is done, here's the reality. There were Moseses that went before us that sacrificed and labored and put up with belly aching and people that gave their sweat, their blood, and their tears so that you and I have the privilege of being a Joshua generation that get to walk across the river and inhabit the promise land and yes we have invested ourselves but we were only able to at this point because Moses bore the labor that he didn't even get to see the fruit of and we get to be the privilege to be the Joshua's may we not become proud may we not be negotiated off mission may we not get into that new building and forgot what got us here we must remember it was the presence of God and the faithful serving of people who people will never even know their names may we guard that mission may we guard that trust and may we leave it better than we found it God's mission is indispensable I am not number six God's assignment is not limited by my personal deficiency when Caleb was in the minority report early on at the very beginning before the 40 years they could have went in the spies went in Joshua and Caleb Caleb was 40 years old when he said we can do it The majority report negotiated them out of mission. No, we can't. 40 years of wondering. Now, 45 years later, here they come back by this mountain that they spied out when Caleb was a young man. Caleb sees that mountain and he remembers that day. 45 years earlier, he was at this spot. His body has aged, but his faith has not. He says in Joshua 14, 12, So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakin or the giants were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord had said. I mean, Caleb qualifies for social security many times over. This is the time when it's okay for him to be looking in the rearview mirror. That's what he's supposed to be doing. But he has chosen to look out the windshield and say, I'm 85, but God put something in my soul as a 40-year-old man that should have been finished then, and it's not been finished, and the mission of God is greater than my age and my personal deficiency. It may just be that God will anoint me in this hour to finish what I believed he wanted to use me for then. I'm glad Caleb's dreams at 85 were bigger than his memories. When you look in your mirror every day, you probably find a thousand reasons why God couldn't use you. But you need to remember, it's not about you. It's not up to you. A surrendered and obedient vessel can be used to further the mission of God. Regardless of age, IQ, economic status, or whatever, God uses surrendered, obedient vessels. Number seven, failure is never final. 
And victory is rarely instantaneous. God is a God of process. And sometimes His processes are too slow. I've heard it said, and it's worth repeating, we are microwave Christians and we serve a crockpot God. We want Him to move now, at our time, at our pace, but He's a God of process. When Moses left that mountain, God warned him. Listen to what He said in Deuteronomy 7.22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you. How? Little by little. Victory is rarely instantaneous. Exodus 23 and 30, God said, Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you've increased and possessed the land. Little by little. God's mission is slow and methodical. Rarely does He move at our pace or to our satisfaction, but little by little. It's harder than we ever thought it was going to be in that moment of ecstasy in the presence of God when He gave us the vision, called us into ministry, saved us, or in the capital campaign or the height of the vision casting sermon, we're going to take the mountain. And then reality sets in. We've got to feed and water all these people. We've got to take care of all this stuff. And we realize this thing's going to be harder than we thought it was going to be. Victory is rarely instantaneous, little by little. But that last point from Moses' life is also this, failure is never final. You remember if you fast forward into the New Testament, this man Moses who had to deal with a lot of disappointment because God said, even after pleading with him, Moses, you can't go. You were disobedient. End of discussion. I don't even want to talk about this anymore. Seemed like a failure that was final. But if you, if you fast forward into the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 17, Peter, James, and John follow Jesus to the top of a mountain we know as the Mount of Transfiguration. The presence of God, a cloud covers that mountain where Jesus is transfigured. And there were two Old Testament people that were on the top of that mountain. You know who those two people were? Moses and Elijah. So we realize that Moses turned the reins of leadership He did what God asked him to do. He got the people to Canaan and Joshua got to bear the fruit of his labor. And it seemed like his disobedience was a final end, but it wasn't. Mount of Transfiguration, you see this man with Jesus. He didn't make it into Canaan, but he made it to the real promised land. And he's standing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Failure is never final. Victory is never final. Is rarely instantaneous, but God is always faithful. I want you to stand with me, if you will, all over this place. Look, when I, I, I thought a lot about the book of Deuteronomy over the last few days, and <clears throat> if I had to sum Moses' main points of that farewell sermon series up, it would be this. This is the, this is the, the, the summation of the book of Deuteronomy, in my opinion. Moses reminds the people that God is faithful despite their sin. I say it this way, God is more faithful than you are sinful. (laughs) That's good news, isn't it? He reminded them that God honors trust and obedience. Remember it was in Deuteronomy that God said, if you walk in obedience, the blessing of God will literally run you down and tackle you. And then he says, but this is what happens if you live in disobedience. Moses said, people look. 
When you're on mission, God honors trust and obedience. Thirdly, God is greater than any enemy you might face. They kept giving excuses and they faced enemy after enemy. And sometimes the enemy was within. Sometimes the enemy was a rebellion. Sometimes the enemy was a giant or another nation. But Moses reminded them in his farewell message that God is greater than any enemy that you might face. And he reminded them that God is a covenant God. That they were stewards of a covenant. A covenant that outlived them. A covenant that they had to be faithful to while it was in their care. And at the end of our journey, may we be found faithful of what God has entrusted into our care. The mission of God for every individual life in this room could be as different as we are people. But whatever it is that we are different in, God has for some reason brought us together as a faith family in a very unique way so that we can create spirit-empowered environments so that people can come to Christ, experience Him, experience relationship with other believers and community, and experience ministry through serving by compassion. That's who we are as North Place. And I pray that God says, Well done, thou good and faithful servants. When we're finished, may we be found faithful. I know it's very practical information. But one of the things the Spirit whispered today that was not in my notes is that the presence of God in our worship time, the presence of God is crucial. I'm going to challenge you today. Get somewhere, whether it's this altar before you leave, in your recliner at home or beside your bed or in your car, put on some worship music and sit and soak in the presence of God. Foster an environment in your heart that hungers and yearns for the presence of God because we cannot do it. There is no mission of God that will ever be accomplished without His presence. If you're a guest with us today, I'm about to pray a blessing over this body and then Haley and I are going to make our way to our reception in the back. I would love to meet you and get to know you personally. Please apply these seven things to your life individually and for us as a church body. Don't let anybody talk us out of the Missio Day the mission of God. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. I pray that you will bless these people and you'll keep them, that you'll make your face shine down upon them, that you'll be gracious to them, that you will turn your countenance their direction and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.